Hi, and welcome to the second episode of What I'm Obsessed With Now, with your friendly host and obsessive, Byron. And once again, that's me. Our first conspiracy theory really is out of this world. UFOs and extraterrestrial beings have captured humanity's imagination for as long as we have recorded history, and I'm sure a long time before that. In fact, there are cave paintings with what looks to be a suspiciously saucer-looking vehicle, now say that ten times, looking to the sky and wondering if there is anything out there is inherently human. Many people have answered the question of beings up there with religion, and some religions blend the two. Many times I have looked into the sky and wondered if there was life out there. For the most part, my answer is yes. Just on the numbers, it's statistically more likely than not. The amount of stars with habitable planets surrounding them, in the so-called Goldilocks zones, this gives us hope. Not to mention, we base life out there on life down here on Earth. The answer has to almost certainly be yes, particularly when you consider the options for life. The real question is if life out there is intelligent. Could they be advanced enough to send ships light years away to pick up humans and stick probes up their ass? Assessments have been made about this, and there is some conjecture. Again, based on this planet and us humans, the likelihood that a species develops enough to master interplanetary travel before destroying itself is actually unlikely. Interesting what this assessment says about us. With this in mind, I think the chance that there is life out there is pretty high. The chance that it can travel to us? Unlikely, but not impossible. And I think it's probably more possible than we think, because after this year, I don't think we should use humans as the standard for intelligent species. If you'll indulge me with a personal anecdote, there was a time where I was sure I saw something. I mean, I did see something, but was it a UFO? Probably not, but as a kid looking out the window and seeing those lights, That magical feeling of what if captured me. Imagine if they showed themselves to me. Imagine if I was that special. I get the allure of UFO hunting and the what if of looking into the sky, not to mention the massive evidence. There have been UFOs and extraterrestrial experiences reported all around the world. Now, I wouldn't say I 100% believe this, but the amount of anecdotal evidence is hard to ignore. After speaking to some experts, the effects of these experiences says something about what happened. Was it little green men? I don't know, but I'm not as sure as I was before researching. But let's not babble, there is much to talk about. Let's jump in and probe the subject. When we say UFO, we really mean alien. Well, I do. And the average person's response when I told them about this episode is to assume alien. The military say it and means something all too different. It may stand for unidentified flying object, but we all mean alien. I will try hard to use UFO only to mean an object which we can't explain. Its origins, earthbound or not, but I tend to use alien and UFO interchangeably. So forgive me if I do that. 
Okay, so let's set out the basics of UFOs and aliens. And as always, when we need some definitions, let's go into the library. For our definition of a UFO, we're going to our old chum, the Oxford languages, who say, a mysterious object seen in the sky for which it is claimed no orthodox scientific explanation can be found. Often supposed to be a vehicle carrying extraterrestrials. See, even Oxford thinks aliens when we say UFO. Our friends at the Merriam-Webster, when talking about aliens, explains them as such, coming from another world. They also mention it could mean a person from another government or country. I have noticed that this use is generally employed by people who hold negative views towards others. So let's not dig too deep into that one. A UFO is a strange object and aliens come from another world. And for some small-minded people, another country is just as strange. Aliens, if they have come here, they may have been on UFOs, but not all UFOs contain aliens. Clear? Moving along. Do you want to be amazed, blown away and scratching your head for an explanation? I want to alert you to something that has blown my mind. How we haven't heard more about this or how it hasn't been on every front page newspaper blows my mind. This is what got me back looking into the world of UFOs. The US released, back in 2017, three videos containing UFOs, which to this day, 2020, they can't explain. Or they say they can't. Who knows? This is a podcast about conspiracy theories. Let's get conspiratorial. Okay, first of all, they say they released the videos to clear up any misconceptions by the public. You need to go and search this on YouTube. Pause the podcast and go look, and then come back to me. Oh, wait. Now, after watching, doesn't that just clear everything up? No, it makes it so much less clear. That would be like looking out at a gorilla enclosure, great day, and then the gorilla flings his crap and it's smeared across the window. There, that cleared it up. First point. One of the crafts looks suspiciously saucer-like. I mean, come on, what the actual flying saucer? It is so picture-perfect that I'm trying to be objective, but come on! They are also described as looking like giant white tic-tacs. I would like to bring your attention to the shape. Again, another common description. The colour, while it seems like no big deal, is a big deal. How many military vehicles are white? Not many, but a metallic white is often described in retellings of sightings. I'm telling you, this is weirdly in line with descriptions from witnesses, people who were made fun of. The UFOs also move in ways that have been described in sightings before. Changing direction at a whim and ways to my eye that looks like gravity isn't too much of a consequence. I mean... If you were travelling and then all of a sudden moved at 90 degrees, you'd be splattered. The crafts seem to hover above the water and then take off and disappear straight up. I mean, that does sound like so many sightings I have heard about. Tell me, that doesn't sound familiar? One of the Navy pilots said it was unlike anything he had seen. He's in the Navy. He sees all the best and latest tech. 
come on people. I mean, I'm trying to be objective, but it's really hard not to believe that this is something that didn't come from Earth. Okay, I'm trying not to obsess about this, but it just freaks me out. It is possible that there will be an explanation, a boring terrestrial one, but for the moment, it is unexplained. I'd also like to point out that the US Navy is a pretty good source. They tend not to be too conspiratorial. Now, while I readjust my tinfoil hat, or as us Aussies say, aluminium foil hat, let's move on. The media, TV and movies are a glimpse into the what-if of UFO lore. It is a window into the stories and experiences people have had. It also says something about the world that we live within. I generally think that aliens in the media mirror us in two ways. The first is where the alien comes to Earth is the peace-seeking being and is met with our aggression and small-mindedness. The other is where the alien comes to Earth and is the aggressor. They both appear to be stand-ins for our actions throughout history. Looking out at aliens. This is a way to look back at ourselves with some amount of objectivity. Aliens allow us to exaggerate and explore human nature. Shows like Star Trek allowed conversations about race. Putting them on a ship light years away allows for some distance in these conversations until distance is no longer there. They have the ability to push forward societal conversations that we are unable to have here on the blue planet. These are important parts of why sci-fi and extraterrestrials have an important impact. Why do I love them? Yes, the societal impact, but mostly the ability to get lost in a world that isn't my own. A world far away, and most importantly, one that has explosions. Let's be real. As a teenager, there is nothing more impressive than a big explosion. Well, that and big, well, you know. I was hooked from an early age on alien movies and TV shows. The first movie I saw that gripped me was The Day the Earth Stood Still. I remember watching for the first time. I was about eight and at my uncle and auntie's house. I remember it flickering black and white and them being lost. These movies made me think. I looked out the window at night and wondered what was out there. They are also an important part of developing my creative side and my thinking of humanity. Now let's talk aliens on the screen. There are two I'd like to touch on. Both of these I've watched numerous times. This won't be a deep dive on each, rather a suggestion for you to view and make up your own mind. I alluded to the first, The Day the Earth Stood Still. The one I am referring to is the 1951 version, not the Keanu Reeves-led modern remake. Not that it was completely awful, but it doesn't compare to the movie from 1951. The movie follows Klaatu and his eight-foot robot Gort. Maybe I identified with this movie so much because I was tiny until the last few years of high school and befriended many a Gort for protection. The movie is based on a 1940s book, Farewell to the Master by Harry Bates, the source material written in the middle of World War II. The screenplay and production post this historical event. The impacts of that terrible time in human history cannot be overlooked. This was a time when we were questioning what it meant to be human. You can't see those atrocities and be confident that we are a peaceful species. 
there is also our movement into the nuclear age. Within a century, we went from fighting on horseback with swords to wielding a weapon capable of ending all life on Earth. When Klaatu lands his flying saucer, he is surrounded by the army. As he steps out of the craft, he is shot. Who exactly is the danger? The movie follows Klaatu, a boy he befriends, and the boy's mother. While babysitting, Bobby and the alien, Klaatu, travel through the city of Washington. They look at the impacts of war and the death of soldiers. It's a stark view of life on Earth. How we treat each other. Klaatu comes to Earth with an offer of peace and is met with violence, pain and death at every turn. The concluding line from Klaatu tells us all we need to know about the feelings we were having at the time. Your choice is simple. Join us and live in peace or pursue your present course and face obliteration. We shall be waiting for your answer. I'm not sure we have a good answer, even today. The movie is of its time, and these themes are present throughout. It is a movie whose themes are just as current today, though. The use of the aliens as an objective observer, a peaceful outsider, this allows us to view our situation from their view. How would you explain our current world if you met an extraterrestrial? The next piece of cinema is the 2002 miniseries Taken. No, not the Liam Neeson, you know, punch everyone and hunt them down. This Taken is produced by the lover of little grey men, Steven Spielberg. Taken is a series I have watched many times. It starts in 1944 at Roswell and follows three families to present day. Well, 2002, which was almost 20 years ago. So present day. This is a big series and it tells the stories of these three families over the course of four generations. These families have interactions with the aliens in different ways, from witnessing events to interactions with aliens to being experimented on. Why do all that? It's a breeding program to create the perfect human-alien hybrid. The adorable little Dakota Fanning, who is now an adult, 2002 was 20 years ago. The impact of the aliens' contact results in psychological and physical breakdown. These aliens, unlike the previous, are not peaceful beings. For the most part, they are amoral scientists, more concerned with their experiment than the people they are experimenting on. Not like humans at all. There are many themes that stand out. Like with The Day the Earth Stood Still, there is the view of peace. The human's response to this amazing event is violence and lies towards the aliens and each other. It tells a dark picture of our nature. Those who have power will use it to their ends, regardless of the planet they come from. There are also callbacks to World War II here. It was in thinking about this series that I began to understand what an impact it has on our ongoing history. The aliens emotionless, experimenting on humans, without care for their pain, their survival, and seeing them less than. This echoes the views of the Nazis and many torturous regimes. Technology is also a present theme. How the aliens use it for their nefarious ends and also the potential negative impacts on humans. They implant a chip in the brains of those they are watching. If taken out, it'll kill you. 
It functions to track your locations at all times. This is a strong message to think about when it comes to security, privacy and technology. It is even more amazing when you think this is exactly what Elon Musk is doing. The fictional warning becomes a real concern. Maybe Elon Musk is an alien. He doesn't seem to know how to act like a human at times. These are by no means the only aliens of cinema, of course. And if I wrote this in six months, the ones that I would choose might change. What these and a lot of alien cinema does is put a spotlight on humanity. It's uncomfortable at times, but it's necessary thinking. What does the UFO experience look like in the real world? To find out, I went to the experts. You are going to hear from three speakers. Dr. Roger Stankovic, National Director from MUFON Australia and New Zealand. Cheryl Gottschall, who is the President of UFO Research Queensland. And Jamie Leonardo, Vice President of UFO Research New South Wales. I'd like to thank all three of them. They were incredibly generous with their time and knowledge. Two things stood out to me when speaking with them. There is a theme of wanting evidence to prove the existence of UFOs. In the media, people who research alternate sciences are made to look kooky. The opposite was true of these three experts. They are passionate and speak to the research. In fact, many a time I was the one saying, Oh my God, does that mean? And was told, we don't know, and calm down. The second is they all had a message that we should treat each other better. Whether the person you are speaking to believes in aliens or not, treat them with respect. I didn't expect such a strong theme of respect to weave itself through these conversations, but it really did. There was one area in particular that I wanted to hear from them on, and I'm sure you're just as curious as I am, and that's personal experience. What is it like to have contact or view something that may have come from out of this world? It is interesting to understand why anyone pursues a passion in life and how these three experts' personal experiences led them to believe and research is crucial to the understanding of the field as a whole. Jamie spoke to me about his experience when he was younger and at school, and that's the first one we'll hear from. I had an incident that was vaguely similar without much documentation or other collaboration when I was at school. And it was in my primary school, so I must have been somewhere between 8 and 10 years of age. And it was very similar to the Westall case, although no objects landed in the school. We had an object hovering over the adjacent football field, and it was a real conundrum. I can distinctly remember for our teachers at that time. And I think that what that did was made me question the validity of consensus reality. And when I first started to go towards the literature in my teenage years, I was shocked and amazed and incredibly surprised of the amount of credentialed investigators that some of them had stepped directly out of the military and civilian air traffic uh, work of pilots, Mm. air traffic controllers. And I thought, well, if there's nothing to this subject matter, why are so many credentialed moths drawn to this flame? So there must be something distinctly here. The Westall case, for those who are unaware, occurred in 1966 in the Melbourne suburb of Westall. 200 students and teachers from two schools witnessed a craft descend into grassland 
and then fly over the suburb of Clayton South. It's amazing to me because it's 10 k's from where I live and I worked in that exact area. It really brings some reality when sightings have occurred so close to home and with so many witnesses. Take a look into the case. Maybe we'll look into it in more detail in an episode to come. Continuing with Jamie, he explained to me the impact that this sighting had on him. You know, the pity is that I didn't do any extensive research at that time. I sort of accepted it until a couple of years later, I went back and started to read the literature and went, my God, there could have been something to that. And it certainly stayed with me and pushed me to start looking into the fringes of culture. Next, we'll hear from Roger and his experiences. Like with Jamie, his experiences occurred when he was younger. This is an interesting point as it comes up in the research children and younger people being common witnesses. This is something I delve into with our three experts in their in-depth interviews. And if you want to hear about these, keep an eye out on your feed for the long-form interviews over the next week. I saw one UFO in my life. Uh, I, I couldn't identify it. I was only young, 16, but I couldn't identify it. And it was quite bizarre. It was not normal. But my parents um, lived on a, a, prop, uh, an, a rural property 50 kilometres out from Sydney. In the West. I, being quite bored usually, <laughs> you know, when in your teenage years, it, it's like I'd like to wander down the paddock and, and uh, go to the dam and skip rocks over it and whatever. And um, it was getting quite quite dark. It was sort of like, I don't know, it was summer and it was sort of like um, getting um, um, uh, in twilight. You know, it was just like uh, getting a bit dark, getting darker. Mm-hmm. And I spotted this um, um, light. Uh, on the corner of my right eye coming from the south. And um, it was just moving slowly, but it was quite bright. And I thought, oh, that's unusual. It could be an aeroplane, could be something, but it's just one one dot, you know, one spot. And um, uh, I just like thought, oh, nothing of it. And I just kept on looking at the dam, skipping rocks and whatever. And then it uh, came up and uh, just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it just stopped. And I thought, what the hell is that? You know, like it was like uh, about a quarter the size of... Um, uh, maybe a quarter, fifth the size of the moon. Um, yep. And it, then it uh, did a little uh, loop-the-loop and, you know, just did this crazy um, manoeuvre. And then it stopped again. And I thought, what the hell is that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> this is really weird. And yeah. I was getting quite quite uh, scared by it, you know. And um, then it just um, did a complete, like a, just a, a complete fall, really quick fall onto the ground and lit the whole hill up. And I thought, I've got to get out of here. Um, mm. And I just ran home. So it was just a, it was just a really quick um, thing that happened. I didn't actually see a spaceship. I didn't see aliens. I didn't see anything. It was just this light that behaved very, very bizarrely. And um, it uh, scared the hell out of me because I still, like, thought, no, I, I, I was a complete non-believer in UFOs mm. at that age. In fact, I had a quite a scientific sort of mind, you know, and at that age I was quite analytical and everything, and I, I, uh, I thought UFOs were just absolute rubbish, you know, and and um, I um, after that experience, I just ran into the house and said to my parents, I said, I just saw, uh, you know, I called it, a, I think I called it a UFO, I think I did, because I knew what UFOs were, and I said I just saw a UFO. And um, and I was panting, you know, and sweating, and <laughs> and then my sister, my older sister, 
she remembered the day, you know, like, and I, and I said, do you remember that? And she says, yeah, I do. She says, you were petrified. And I said, well, yeah, because this thing was after me. <laughs> I felt yeah. like it was sort of like communicating with me telepathically because I sort of like said, you're not an alien spacecraft to it. And then said, uh, let me show you something. And then it just like did what it did. And it went down. I thought, oh my God, this thing's after me. It's going to land and it's going to abduct me or whatever. I don't know. Lastly, you'll hear from Cheryl. Her experiences differ from the other two as hers occurred in her adulthood. She's able to recall these events with great detail and perspective. These experiences also occurred with witnesses, which adds a great credibility to them. Yes, yes, I've had six sightings. The last one was um, probably about three years ago from my front deck and of the house, and I had... Uh, two friends staying here at the time and one of them had his video camera and um, and they was we had been sitting on the front veranda having lunch and um, and he said look at that and um, I sort of had a quick look I couldn't figure out what it was and then because he's a sky watcher so uh, and they said meanwhile I'd gone inside to do something and uh, and by the time I got down to the backyard, they had already been watching it go over the West Brisbane, Western suburbs uh, in day daylight. And it was just getting higher and higher and higher and almost like disappearing into outer space. Um, and I don't know what that was. It wasn't a plane. Um, it, it wasn't a satellite. It was, you know, it was initially it was lower and then it just got higher and higher and just kept going up. Um, and disappeared towards the sun, so we couldn't see it against the sunlight. But that was that was the last one. So was this um, during the day? Yes, it was during the day. Wow. Yeah, middle of the Which day. Which is rarer. It yeah. is rare, yeah. But the, probably the the best corroborated uh, sighting happened in 1992 when we had a sky watch, and uh, we were out at Wyvernhoe Dam, and um, there were 27 people out there, and um, we have when we have a sky watch where we camp overnight, um, and Wyvernhoe Dam is 45 minutes west of Brisbane. So, um, and there's a big there's a camping area there, and we have a roster that goes during the night, so, and there's with two or three people watching the sky for a two hour period, so that the sky is monitored all night by someone, and they keep a record of what they see, even if it's a shooting star or a satellite. We just write everything down that we see in the sky. And um, it was three o'clock in the morning, and uh, one of them, there were three guys who were on uh, on the roster, and one of them came running into the camp and managed to wake eight of us up, and because um, and uh, I ran out to see uh, what they were seeing, and he had said that they started watching when they first started watching it it appeared like a, an orange light in the sky way up but when they looked at it through binoculars it there were three orange lights together close together and by the time i sort of ran up over the uh, like a slight hill and uh, the first thing i saw was looking down at the water in the dam and i saw the reflection of what was above it and um and i looked up and i saw these three orange objects which were about 200, 200 or so, 200, 300 metres away over the water and um, they were football-shaped and they were silent, gliding slowly together 
and they were the colour of a, a an, uh, an orange ember. If you blow on an ember on the fire, though, that's that bright sure. orangey colour. And um, they would have been, at that distance, they were probably about mm, a metre, could have even been two metres, I don't know now, um, in in length, uh, you know, the longer side of the football shape. And um, one of them just went out, one drifted off, and then it, it just sort of disappeared in the distance. And the other one, um, we were camping on one side of an inlet, and which was sort of like made a half circle, and there was another um, uh, land piece on the other side. So, and it came, it went went over the trees opposite us, um, and came down in the trees. So some of the guys got in the car, they drove around there quickly uh, to see if they could see any signs of what it might have been if it was down on the ground. Um, they couldn't, they didn't see anything. So they came back and then the next morning they went over there again. And, you know, we're looking for all sorts of things. We're looking for hoax devices. We're looking for anything yeah. that could have given us some sign of what, what it was. Nothing on the ground, nothing in the trees, nothing burnt, not, no leaves or bark burnt in the area. Absolutely nothing. It just disappeared. So I don't know what that was. Um, and But what was more interesting to me was the reactions of the people when they saw it. And um, I, so I sort of played the observer then and I was, uh, some of them said, uh, because what we had done the week before was some of us said, well, let's focus on sending out mental thoughts to uh, make contact, to have a, a spaceships come over and, and so we can see something, you know. So so um, some people said, oh, um, well, they must have tuned in. They heard our message. It was them. Someone else said, oh, no, that was just hoax devices because I'm saying, well, where's the evidence of that, you know. Um, Others were saying, uh, like, just just really stunned at what they'd seen. I was I was awestruck at what I saw because yeah. it was just like, wow, what's that? And it was so <laughs> close, you know. Actually, it was probably about 200 metres. But anyway, um, and, you know, people were in denial. There was a, a, a scientist there. There were all different types of people, business owners, um, you know, um, and just the different the different responses to to seeing something really unusual and you know when you extrapolate that response out onto a planetary scale i can understand why there's been a cover-up all along i really can because you don't know how people are going to respond at all and we were there prepared to see something right we're, we're in the ufo field we're prepared ourselves to see something but when some of them saw it, they were sceptical, they were in denial. It was, no, that can't possibly be. But it was something really unusual. I'd like to thank all three of our experts. I'll put information in the notes about how to get in contact if you've had an experience or want to learn more. Keep an eye out this week on the feed as I'll be releasing the long-form interviews. We delve into their experiences a bit more, those they've heard from, the 2017 US Navy releases, and what alien physicality may be, and a whole lot more. You'll be amazed not just by the subject matter, but also the way these three people handle this amazing subject. They are fascinating, and I'm sure you'll be just as interested as I was speaking to them. Thanks for sticking around to the end. 
I hope you enjoyed hearing about UFOs and aliens as much as I did delving into it. It has brought up so many memories that have been important to me. It also made me think about what alien movies will be getting in the next few years. 2020, it's safe to say, has been a challenge. The virus that shall not be named is perfect for an alien creation. I think it will need some time for distance, but it will be interesting. I hope 2020 also gave us enough material on how people will react in a disaster. Who would have thought that toilet paper was the one thing people would go nuts for? Honestly, I would not have picked it. My money was on pasta, which did sell out, and tinned food, which didn't. But toilet paper? Interesting what we can do with that, hey? I'd like to now touch on people who have had an experience. My scepticism does not equate to mockery. My jokes also are not there for the purpose of mockery. I am incredibly interested in these experiences. More than anything, I hope they're true. For what that would mean and the knowledge it would give us. But I want proof. Indisputable proof. And I know that is a high bar. This is a subject of truly great importance and as such deserves certainty. I also would like to say if you have had an experience and it is causing you harm, please seek help. We need to support each other regardless of why we may be doing it tough. That's a message that's key to the three experts we spoke to. I might head off and write about a far-off world and imagine what if. Thanks for listening. Next week we are moving from the sky to a forest near you and on to Bigfoot. To catch all future episodes, subscribe in your favourite podcasting app, Leave a rating for the show to grow our obsessive community. You know, five stars, always the best. Follow the socials and join your fellow obsessives. Links are all in the show notes. Oh, and before I completely sign off, remember to hear more of the interviews with our UFO experts. I'll be releasing them over the week. Think about this as what I'm obsessed with now does UFO week. But until next time, I'm Byron. I've seen the lights and I'll speak to you on the next episode. Written, produced, and edited by Byron Gatt for Pinchicus Media. Sound designed by Lily and Fred. They designed the barking. I edited it out. I'd like to thank my three guests, UFO experts, Dr. Roger Stankovic, Cheryl Gottschall, and Jamie Leonardo. I'd also like to apologize if I absolutely murdered your names. Check out the full credits in the show notes on how to get in touch with myself or our experts. Theme music from mixit.co. See you on the next episode.